God, we thank you for the songs that we've sung, and Lord, that you are teaching us through those songs not only um, what to believe, but how to believe. You're teaching us um, through that process, Lord, what's true and what's not, and how to tell the difference. You're teaching us that no matter what we find ourselves doing right now, no matter what it is we're going through right now, that you're the same, that you don't change, and that's the only thing in the whole of creation and beyond that does not change. That is the rock that we can hang on to that will not sink. It is where we find a foothold when we feel like everything else is moving around and there's nothing stable in life. Jesus Christ is our rock. Lord God, we thank you that you are that and more, that you are here for us for whatever it is we're going through, that you're faithful, and that your faithful love endures forever. So Lord, I pray for those right now that are just hurting, that you would bring comfort, because you are the comforter. You tell us that you draw, you draw, your spirit is drawn alongside of the brokenhearted. Lord, we pray for those who are discouraged, that need your encouragement. We pray that you would remind them of what they can be thankful for and to give them eyes to see that there is hope as long as you are on the throne and nothing can change that. And Lord, for those who feel weak, I pray you would be their strength. For those who feel out of control and powerless, may you be the one who steps in and reminds them you are able. For those who are afraid, remind them that something that you remind us through Scripture all the time, you are with us, therefore we don't have to be afraid. For those of us who care what other people think and we're discouraged or pulled down because of that, may we remember that um, your grace is sufficient and we don't need to try to impress or, or please anyone else. You're pleased because you love us and you love us just as we are. And yet, you love us so much that you don't want to leave us as we are. And so God, whatever it is we're struggling with today, help us to surrender it to you today. Help us to hold it up before you and ask you to take that which troubles us, which stresses us, which ails us, which hurts us. Help us in our place of, in time of loss, grief, pain, suffering, questions, fears, and help us to just surrender those to you and believe that you are more than enough for us to walk in and through those things today. Help us to realize that most of the things that happen to us and in our lives are beyond our control, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing because we know the one who is in control, we can walk in peace. Help us do that today. And help us help those around us do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We are back in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn to the right side of your Bible, the back third, back quarter of your Bible. And then even further, in the book of Colossians, it's a short letter. We are in chapter 2. The series is called Supreme. The question we're going to answer today 
I'm going to say two different ways. One is, how do you tell the truth from lies? But probably the way we have heard it lately is how to tell good news from fake news. And you don't have to look very far to see down both sides of the aisle. There's plenty of fake news to go around. There's nobody has a corner on that market. So it's not a political statement. It goes way, way beyond that, way deeper than that. You don't have to uh, spend much time watching the news to know there's just a lot of things that are being shared in the news that make you go, I don't know if that's true or not. I've heard this, and I've heard that, and I've heard this from an expert, and I've heard this from an expert, and how do we know what's true? Maybe they're all wrong. And, And how can they say with such confidence this when that's only been around for this long, and it normally takes years for us to figure out the answers to those questions? There's There's a lot of those things going on, right? So I think it's a pretty good question to wrestle with today. How do you tell truth from lies? How do you tell good news from fake news? And Paul finds himself, at the time right before he writes this letter, he finds himself at a place where he's dealing with some real news, and that is, I'm in prison for my faith in Rome. And there's a church out there that has this same question, how do we tell the truth from lies? And they're not just talking about how do we tell the truth from what we're hearing from Caesar and the Senate and how do we sort that political message out, but they also have the same question for what's being taught and said inside their church. And it's not uncommon for churches to have mixed messages coming out of the mouths of people there. Everything from, oh, everybody's going to heaven, to... um the different theologies that go on to false teachings like legalism or prosperity gospel. So there's plenty of of mixed messages out there. And Paul is writing a letter to help a church figure out, how do you figure it out? How do you know what's good news and what's fake news or what's just bad news? And so Paul is going to, this whole letter is about that. And there was a group in the church called Gnostics, and they were all about knowledge you had to have the special knowledge if you really wanted to know God. Oh, yeah, you know Jesus, you cute little Christians, but you really need, there's some special knowledge. You need to kind of, you know, learn the secret handshake, so to speak, okay? And, and, you know, the gospel's not like that. The gospel is a child can be made aware of their sin and their need for a Savior and receive Christ. It is simple, not simplistic, profound And while they can understand it, a six-year-old can understand it in some cases, it can take them the rest of their lives to scratch the surface of what it truly means to receive that good news, okay? So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with potent truth, truth that we set our lives on like a North Star. And Paul understands this, and he's going to try to explain to these, these sweet people in the, in the city of Colossae and nearby neighbor Laodicea and Hierapolis and the, really the region of what is modern-day Turkey. And he's, these churches and beyond, of course, here we are reading it today, he wants us to understand some of the principles, and then he also wants us to understand some of the practices that can help us sort it out. And I'm just grateful because this is something that's been driving me crazy for a while. How do we know it's true? I've, just, I've said it out loud and, and he just heard me say it many times. How do we know? Who do we, how can we know what to trust when we hear the news or, or whatever it happens to be? So the chapter one we, we just finished a few weeks before Christmas was very focused on who is Christ, 
who are we in light of that? And so his identity and our identity. And there's one of the main Christological passages in the Bible in verses 15 through 20 where it talks about Christ. I want to remind us of that. I'm just going to read that, okay? So this is kind of going backwards. I just want you to hear. This is Paul's, one of Paul's descriptions of who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Why? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. This is why we say he's supreme. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now that's who Jesus is, and when I believe and receive that truth, I become a follower of Jesus, a little Jesus, a little Christ, Christian, okay? And that's not something I just decide to do. That's a, that's a, a, a spiritual transformation that occurs in me that's called being born again or being uh, regenerated is another word that's used in the book of Titus. And it means that there's something has happened profound in me that I didn't make happen, that I participated in it happening, but it required God to do something I couldn't do for myself. And that's where God rescues us. Now, chapter 2, last, uh, last week Ken talked through the first five verses of chapter 2. I want to go back and just read 4 and 5 because 6 starts with, so then, so we need to say, okay, what's that there for? So let's go back a little bit. And it says this, and I'm going to start, um, I tell you this, starting in verse 4, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So fake news, bad news, lies, we're not talking about the obvious ones. We're talking about things that are really hard to discern. Okay? And, I mean, that's why I feel like I pull my hair out when I watch the news. And it's just like, how do I know? It seems true until I hear this person talk. And then how do I discern, is Jesus really can I really trust what he says over what someone else says? I mean, that's, it's been 2,000 years. Can I really trust him with my life? That seems kind of, I don't know. And Paul's it's like saying, you can. And, and, of course, you read Paul's letters, and you read how, he, how much confidence he has in the Scriptures, both the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Christian Scriptures. He has in complete confidence in fact, Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. That's like from the mouth of God and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 3 somewhere. Okay, 3.15, um, 4.15, somewhere in there. And so he says, I'm, so he says, I tell you this why, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He wants to help them understand and be able to discern truth from, truth from lies. 
Then he says, for though I am absent from you in the body, Paul had never been to the church at Colossae. He didn't start that church. Some of his disciples started that church. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So he knows something about them. Now, how does he know? Because there's a guy there that, come, that came to see him, and that is the pastor probably of the church in Colossae, and I, we think his name was Epaphras. We're not sure. But we're pretty sure that Epaphras made the long journey from modern-day Turkey all the way to Rome. And it, I don't know if he went by ship or by foot, but it would have taken him a while to get there to talk to Paul, knowing Paul's under arrest, but Paul had access to people. And so he goes and he says, this is what's happening in our church. What do I do? And Paul says, well, let me write a letter. And he writes a letter that becomes scripture because God is all over that letter because this is so, so important. Okay? Now, he's going to give us some things here that, um, that I want to share with you. But before I do that, I, I need to... I need to share a little bit more to kind of set this up. Um, and that is a little more of the story I've shared already for, for, with you all about, um, about the, the Iranian church and the Afghani church, okay? The, top, the 10, according to, and I can't remember who I'm, Global Catalytic Ministries is who I'm getting this information from, okay? And it comes from a podcast, a Jeannie Allen podcast in August of, this year, of last year, right around the time when the airport Kabul debacle happened. Um, she's interviewing Pastor X and some other guy named Steve, and, and they're telling some of these stories in that interview. It's a fantastic podcast interview. You should go listen to it. But in that interview, he tells a story. Pastor X is telling the story. First of all, they say the 10 fastest growing church, churches, national churches in the world are all in countries where it's illegal to be Christians, where you get persecuted for believing, okay? Now, one of those is Afghanistan. It's the second fastest growing. One of those is Iran, and that's the fastest growing, okay? There are millions of Christians in a region where they are being hunted and rooted out and imprisoned and tortured and sometimes killed, martyred for their faith, simply because they follow Jesus and they don't want to deny Jesus. Now, one, part of that story is um, how a, a woman through a series, and it's, they tell the story in the podcast, but the, the short version is she comes to know Christ through miracles, through um, some dreams and an intervention on her, of her mom. She wanted to take her life, and she ends up being a follower of Jesus, and not only a follower of Jesus, but before she meets her future husband, she's already started 25 house churches affecting 250 people, okay? No training, no seminary, no church. She's just making disciples, and they just do what true disciples do. They start to gather on a regular basis and look at the Bible and try to figure out how to live this. Okay, so this, again, this is all part of the story. I have to skip lots of detail, but this American man somehow connects with this Iranian woman. They get married because God told them to, and she moves to America because he says that's kind of the condition for this deal because that's a crazy country. I'm not living there. And so she agrees, and she lives here for a while, continuing to minister to them through the Internet to, to them, and, and they keep growing. And then I think I've said this before. She said at some point, she said, I'm, I feel like this whole church in America is asleep. And I'm feeling like I'm, being, I'm getting sleepy spiritually by being here. I want to go back. 
And he's like, you're crazy. We're not going back. And she says, I want to go back. And so they go back. Well, he goes. Okay, so they get there, and the church blows up to the, the, the number of believers that grows up to like 5,000 people. Okay, so that's like 500 churches, house churches. All of them are meeting, un, you know, secretly because they don't want the government to know. Well, the government decides to make the church of Jesus in Iran enemy number one, and they start cracking down. They start figuring out how to find these folks. And before long, 1,300 leaders are arrested. And so this couple, the guy who's been in ministry for a long time, he's, he's praying, he's asking God, and he's saying, now why, Lord, would you let this happen? I thought the church was supposed to grow in persecution, and now you're showing all these leaders have been arrested. He says, what's going on? And he said, this is the answer he feels like he got from the Lord. He says, because you were making converts, not disciples. Amen. Converts, not disciples. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I think this is epidemic in America, too. And it's probably global. It's, I mean, if it's happening in Iran, where it costs you to even get baptized, then everywhere it's easier, this is going to be more common, I would think. What's the difference between a convert and a disciple? Okay. Now, I'm going to give the converts the benefit of the doubt that they're the real deal. Okay. They may not be. But the difference is a, dis, a, a convert, when the pressure is on, they, they run to save themselves. And a disciple is willing to die to follow the Jesus. So there's a, there's a level of faithfulness involved here. There's a level of willingness to embrace what Jesus went through. If I'm following Jesus and he died for what he came to do for his mission, and our mission is his mission, then I need to be willing to live for him and, yes, if necessary, die for him. Easy to say when you live in America, right? Oh, yeah, I'll die for Jesus. I know that that's probably not going to happen here for me, at least in the next few years. But does that, is that good enough? Is that okay? And so they realized that that was happening. So what they did then is they went back and they started making disciples. They started discipling. Now, how do you do that? It's the same thing you do to make a disciple. That's what discerning, teaching someone how to discern truth from lies is doing. It's making a disciple of Jesus through the word of God. The remedy is the same. Two weeks ago, I preached Psalm 1. That was, I mean, God just laid that right here to set this up. Because in Psalm 1, there's the picture of what it means to be a follower of, of the Lord. And it is to be a tree planted by streams of water with roots that go deep. So that when the drought comes, and the droughts do come, that, and the water table drops... That the tree who gets 75% of his water from roots, not leaves anyway, is still going to have access to the life essential waters. Okay, and, and next to the river, I mean, I think that's probably a reminder of the river of life in the Garden of Eden, the river of life in the, in the final city of God, the new city of God. And if you want to go to John 7, living water works for me too. I think all of it's one and the same, coming from the same fountain. Okay. So when we ask the question, which is when we open it up, how do you tell truth from lies? How do you tell good news from fake news? The answer is you get to know what God calls good news, what God would call truth. Now, this is very controversial in our day, is it not? I mean, it's right. Not only do people, some people say that's not the truth. Others say, how can you even know the truth? There's no truth. The truth is whatever you want it to be, whatever works for you. And, of course, we know that doesn't work very long. I mean, 
common sense goes, if you, you, know, you and I think totally different things are right or wrong, that's going to create problems in culture. If you think it's okay to murder and I think it's wrong to murder or vice versa, we're going to have a problem in culture if we're trying to get along. And, you know, that makes learning a problem. And so Paul says, let me give you three, kind of three things that I want you to really think about when it comes to discerning truth, okay? Now, these two verses, we're just going to look at verses 6 and 7. These two verses form a hinge point in the book of Colossians, okay? Now, if you think about a door, it's like, there's like, most doors have, in the house anyway, have like three hinges, okay? And when all three hinges are working properly, the door opens and closes fine, okay? When the hinges are where they need, and when they're working, and they're, they're there to give you the ability to close the door and the ability to open the door. There's really, and, and what happens here in the book of Colossians is that Paul is, has put a hinge literally, literal, literarily, there's a hinge here where if you look back, you see this is what Paul says we should believe about who God is and who we are in light of that, okay? So that's identity, that's about who we are. Okay, and you've probably asked yourself the question before. Maybe you've asked God, God, who am I? Well, he answers that question at the beginning of this letter. Okay, if you're in Christ, then you are a child of God, a son or daughter of God, the creator. Okay, and there's a whole lot more that I could go there. This answers the question, why do, what do we believe and why? Also, and then at this hinge point, we make a turn to the other side, to the other side. So we swing from here to this side, and this is, in light of what we believe and why, this is how we live out that identity. This is what a person with this identity lives like. Okay? This is what a son of the king looks like, a daughter of the king looks like. This is what a, the creator intended for us to be and do. So we, our language at Grace is that the bullseye for discipleship is that we want to be like Christ and do like Christ. We want to be like Christ, identity, and we want to do like Christ. So the why, the what, and the how. Okay? And this, these verses give us the hinge point, which means they're kind of the pinnacle of the book. It's like if you want to summarize what Paul wants us to do, these are the two verses you could run to. They're great memory verses. I encourage you to memorize them and learn them and, and most importantly, live them. So let's look at them in detail. So then, in light of the fact that you were... Uh, uh, that he was saying that you're not letting someone deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. In light of the fact that they are firm in their faith in Christ, that their discipline is evident to Paul, he says these things. Basically, he says, and I'll give you the summary, and then we'll read it. He, he wants them to be grounded in the truth. He wants them to grow in the truth, and he wants them to be grateful in the truth. Okay, let's look at it. I'll show you there how, where they fall. Okay, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. All right, let's break it down. All right, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Let's, let's start there, okay, because the rest is telling us how to do that. So he's telling you, just like 
Okay, so if you're a follower of Christ, there was a time in your life when you said, I do to Christ. You basically said, I want to trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not have said it that way, but in your mind, you're saying, I want to, I want to believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And at some point, in some form or fashion, everybody's, we're non-denominational church. We come from all over the place theologically. I love that about us. We, that diversity is beautiful. But it means that we all have different language for this, Okay. And language creates culture, so it's important that we start, we start thinking about how we're saying things because it matters, okay? Salvation, or to be saved, according to the Bible, it, it, the context is always eternal, okay? There may be illustrations that are physical that are illustrating this, but the point is that we need to be saved from the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the penalty of sin, with the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus saves. The word name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. And if you want to personalize it, the Lord is my salvation, if that's true for you. So Jesus means that. And when we typically talk about this, we typically think when we say you've received Jesus, Christ Jesus, we usually tend to think of Jesus as our Savior. We call him our savior, our rescuer, our deliverer, and all the other synonyms that go with that. And those are all true and good and right, and we need to remember that he is those things. Okay? But here's the thing that we tend to brush aside or take too lightly. And they go like two sides of the same coin together. And he says it right here. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, we don't use that word much. We don't, use, we don't have lords in America. You can go to England and find some lords, but you don't have, we don't have lords over here. Not maybe using that language, but we mean master. We mean ruler. We mean boss. We mean authority over us or the authority we're under. We might not say king, but we might say president or judge or whoever's in authority over you in a certain particular context. The point is, if I have a Lord that I'm not him, and therefore I'm under authority. Now I get it, we don't like authority, okay? I can give you an example from my own life. I mean, I'm just a rebel, okay? I'm just like you, I'm a rebel, okay? I'm in a parking lot, I'm starting to pull out to leave, there are arrows on the, you know where I'm going, right? There's arrows that say go this way, and I turn that way. And Anita says, um, you're going the wrong way, uh, you know. Oh, it'll be okay. Okay, so no big deal. No big deal? Well, but, right? What did I just do? The intent of the people who own the asphalt that is the parking lot, their intent for good traffic flow is for me to follow the arrows. It's better for me, it's better for everyone else, and it would be the humble, good, and right thing to do. I didn't do that. So you say, well, no big deal. I didn't run into anybody. I didn't hurt anybody. Nobody, you know, yelled at me or anything like that. No harm, no foul. I disagree. Because if I'm willing to do it in that situation, then aren't I more likely and to do it in a situation where the stakes are higher? To whom much is given, much is expected, the whole, that whole line. But there's also... He who is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. The converse is true. If I'm not faithful in a little, then why would he give me more? I'll give you another example because I'm really good at disobeying rules. Um, go to a state park or national park and you're driving through and they have rules. It's like, come on, we're at a park. You have all these rules. And it's like almost a game to figure out how many of these I can break. And I'm not trying to do this. It's just I look at the rules and I just kind of roll my eyes. 
as Anita nudges me, just... And then it's, and it's like there's this part of me. We don't like having authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. We like having authority and telling other people what to do because that's good. So when we read this, we tend to brush the word Lord aside. But Paul is saying part of the deal here is acknowledging who God is and who Jesus is. And if he is Lord, sorry about that. If he is Lord if Paul says he's Lord, then I need to act accordingly because I'm not. My professor in seminary used to say, there's a God and you ain't him. And he was right, and he is right, and, and everybody said amen. He would say also, I'm, there's a God and I'm not him. The professor would say, and the class would say amen, and he would agree. But that, we, that part we just read in chapter 1, 15 through 20, it describes Jesus. If you say, well, is he really Lord? Read that and decide whether you believe it or not. But that's a pretty high bar. I don't know of anyone that can get higher than that bar of creator. Right? If I paint a picture, you better not paint on my picture. That's my picture. I created that. Right? I feel a certain sense of that's mine and you shouldn't touch it unless you're admiring it, caressing it, loving it, you know, but don't paint over it. Right? We would be offended if somebody came up and started painting. Well, it needs something right. It's my painting. I can paint it however I want, and that is right. Do you hear it? And God says, I created, and I can create however I want, and what I create is right and good because I am right and good. But that's hard for us, and that's the sin nature in us that wants to push back. And yet Paul says... If you want to be able to discern truth from lies, then you have to humble yourself and acknowledge that you're not in charge and that I am. And it's not that he's just in charge. He's a good God. He's, he's somebody you want to be in charge. It's like, you know, I don't mind. I really don't mind doing the things that somebody tells me to do if I trust them, if I believe they have my best interests at heart, if they make good decisions, if they're good people, if they're wise, all these attributes that really are only perfected in one person, and that is our creator. And yet I push back because he says, I want you to obey the laws you're under. So that's not the point of the message. Some of y'all are convicted right now, right along with me. Okay, well, let's repent and move forward and let's maybe obey the traffic laws and things like that. But that's not the point. The point is how do you tell the truth from the lies? How do you tell the difference? How do you discern? And Paul says you need to be grounded in the truth, you need to be growing in the truth, and you need to be grateful in that truth. So then, just as you receive Christ's salvation, continue to live your lives in him sanctification, rooted and built up in him. And, and eventually there's glorification. So the Bible talks about, when, when the Bible, especially the New Testament, talks about salvation, sometimes it talks about salvation in the past. Sometimes it talks about salvation in the present. And sometimes it talks about salvation in the future. And it's like, okay, am I saved or not? It's, you know, and and, and the, the answer is yes. You, you have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. If you're in Christ, there was a moment in time, the day you said, I do to Christ, you were justified. That means you were declared right by God to be saved. And it's as good as done, but it's not done. Your salvation, the process is not done. It's kind of like when a criminal is convicted and sentenced to uh, 10 years. That's just the beginning of the carrying out of that sentence. Okay, And it's similar in salvation in that we are justified, and so salvation has begun. 
Then, from there forward until he takes us home, we are on this journey called sanctification, which is the process of becoming, in behavior, what I am in position. Okay, I've been declared right with God. I've been, that's why Paul calls them and us saints, holy ones, and it's why we feel really uncomfortable with that because we're like, well, my life doesn't line up with my position. And God goes, I know. That's why I'm working on you. That's why I'm allowing trials to come into your life. That's why I'm allowing you to suffer. It's why I'm allowing you to struggle. It's why I've given you my word, my people, my spirit, so that you can become like my son over time. You're not going to do that overnight. I get it. I created you. I know how you work. So I've justified you. I am sanctifying you. And one day I will take you home and glorify you, which means finish. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, and he will finish it. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's why we can celebrate at a funeral even as we mourn and grieve the loss that we have. We celebrate what they've gained because what they've gained is what we all want, right? Ask Americans what they want. What do they want? I want to be happy. Well, you gain a whole lot more than that in the hereafter if you're in Christ. The best is yet to come, okay? But you have to decide whether or not you believe that, and then your life should reflect that belief. So he says, just as you receive Christ, continue to walk in him. So just as we, how did we receive Christ? Now, this is a sticky question, especially since we come from so many different faith backgrounds and so many different experiences church-wise and otherwise. What do you, you know? How do you call salvation? What do you call salvation? So I was in a church faith where I grew up, and I went through confirmation class around age 12. And at the end of class, if you do all the things they ask you to do and you check all the little boxes, you become a member of the church, which I interpret to mean you become a believer if you're not already. Okay. Now, I don't think I came out a believer I do think, I know I came out a member because I became a, I started getting those little offering envelopes. So I must be something because I'm getting there asking for money. This is serious. I'm 12, right? I got nothing. My allowance is not going to go very far in that envelope. So, um, so my, my journey was that I came to know Christ and it made sense to me. And I said, I do to Christ at some point, age 18, when I was, and you've heard me tell the story about being in a Christian concert with all my Christian friends. And not being a Christian, but thinking I was, and how God ambushed me there, and, and anyway, we, that's, that's another whole story. But here's what became real to me that day, or, or clear is a better way. I was able to discern that there is a problem, and it's called sin, and I had that problem and that disease, if you will, and it's terminal. Sin is terminal. The wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God, and I, don't, I, I realized I was that person because growing up, I was under my parents' faith, and I just believed because they believed. I believed them. And so I'm going to believe the God of my parents, which is actually a good pattern. You see that in the Old Testament. Isaac uh, believed the, in the God of his dad, Abraham. Jacob believed in the God of his father, Isaac. Joseph, his father, Jacob, and, on, and so on and so forth. That's good, but at some point, you have to make it your own. At some point, you have to decide whether or not you're hearing from God and, and then respond. Because if you're, to discern, if you're trying to discern the truth from lies, the truth comes from him. All truth is God's truth, whether it's a mechanics manual or whether it's the incarnation of Christ. Okay? So he's saying, you, how, did we, how did you receive Christ? For me, I believed when the man stood up and said, this is the gospel. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we can't get to God, but he's come and made a way 
by coming to us, and that was by coming as Jesus. And, and when we trust that what Jesus did on the cross, which was die for the sins of the world, when we trust that that is available to you as sinner, I have a choice to make. Am I going to respond to that by faith or not? And if I believe that, then I receive. He says, to believe is to receive, and I receive what? Eternal life. I receive the Holy Spirit. I receive a, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing I'm going to finish what I just started, and that is I'm going to take you home one day. Okay? And Paul is saying, just like you received Christ, I want you to live with the same kind of faith. Now, hopefully it's a growing faith. Lord, increase my faith, my mustard seed size faith. And he says, well, mustard seed size faith in an infinite God is all the faith you need. But, yes, it's okay to pray, increase my faith. Increase, help my unbelief. So, grounded is, is he uses the word rooted, okay? And, and remember Psalm 1 and the tree planted, and the idea is that we put our roots deep, Okay, think of the parable of the soils. One was planted on, the seeds were dropped on the path, and the birds ate the seeds, and there's no fruit there. Second, seeds fell into the dirt, sprouted, but there was rocky soil, kind of like a hard pan layer, not very deep. Sun comes out, withers the plant, it dies. Third plant, good soil, takes root, roots go down, plant goes up, starts to mature, but it's surrounded by briars, which represent the worries of this world, and they choke out the life. Because this plant can't get away from those worries or doesn't surrender them or doesn't allow or, or whatever the, the word reasoning is. And then the fourth soil is the same soil with no briars to choke out the, the plant. And the plant grows and matures and bears fruit. And that one represents a true follower of Christ, I believe. I believe it's the only one. I don't know that, but that's my interpretation, my understanding, and I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last, John 15, 16, and the only one that bears fruit in that parable is the fourth one, good soil. All right, and that's, that's, that is describing the condition of the heart. It's a an, it's an parable, an Im imagery. Switching that imagery a little, we have the roots going down into the soil, and the foundation is Christ. So deep into Christ, who is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1 and 14, we see that Jesus is called the Word, and Jesus, because he says he not only is the Word, but he's the one who came down and personally showed us what God looks like in an earth suit, okay, as a person, as a man. This is what I look like. This is what I am like. And as a result, so he says, how, so how do we do this? How do we continue in the Lord? He says, rooted and built up in Christ. Christ who? What is that Christ like? This is where we get the Mormonism and the Jehovah Witnesses and all the other false religions and cults is they say they believe Jesus too, right? The Mormons, it's the Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ or some combination of those words, right? I mean, they, would, they hold Jesus up as a very good demigod. And you can become one too, just like Jesus, and you can get your own planet too. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you hear it, but on the surface, when they talk to you, it sounds like a good Southern Baptist. I mean, I've heard them talk at the door. It sounds really orthodox until you start peeling back the layers. Why? Why? What is different about what they believe? They say the same things a good Baptist would say, but they don't mean the same things because the vocabulary is defined differently when you talk about who is Jesus. They don't believe that he is being eternal. They believe Jesus was created. You see how that creates a problem? Okay? 
It's not that God couldn't have created Jesus and then he could create the world. God could have done it that way, but he didn't. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches there's one God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, the eternal one, humbled himself and came down and be put on flesh to show us what the prophets weren't able to convince us of completely. And so Jesus came to do that in their place. Rooted and built up in him, Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ as Lord. You've heard the saying maybe, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Think about your life. Do you follow Jesus as Lord? As in he has absolute permission to tell you whatever he wants you to do and you will obey. Think about it. Do you live that way? Because that's what it means to call Jesus Lord. We sing songs, oh Lord Jesus, pious and as genuine as we can be. And then we leave and we go out there and we do what we want. Does that add up? It's like getting salt water from a spring. It doesn't make sense. And yet we do. Now God is gracious and merciful and helps us work through that because we're a work in progress. But he says you do that rooted and built up in Christ Jesus as Lord. In the New Testament, the apostles always preached Jesus, but only two times in the book of Acts, chapter 5 and chapter 13, only two times do they call him Jesus Savior. You want to know how many times they call him Jesus as Lord? 92 times. What do you think their emphasis was? So I don't even want to hear about this lordship debate anymore. I'm, I'm just like, you've you got to argue with, with God on that one. I'm not going to take up that argument. He speaks for himself. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. How many of us feel like, don't raise your hand, how many of us feel like our faith is weak, right? Strengthened in the faith. How? In Christ, which means in the word, which is our authority. This is why we have the problems we have in the church, not to mention outside the churches. We're not living as if this is authoritative in our lives. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. They were taught to do this. You have been taught to do this. If you've been attending church anywhere, you've probably been taught some of this. If you've been reading the Bible, you've been, the Holy Spirit is teaching you. Okay? We don't have an information problem in most cases. We have, uh, we have a submission problem. We have an obedience problem. And that's why our house is built on sand and it collapses when trauma comes. And this is what a convert, how a convert lives. When, when, the, when, the, when the persecution comes, they run. But you build your house on the rock and the persecution comes and you stand even if it costs me my life. That's a disciple. And that's the bullseye. To be like Christ and to do like Christ. Overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. This is the last thing. It's really kind of like a thermometer. You want to see how, um, how, so, how genuine somebody's faith is in Jesus Christ? Pay attention to how often they say thank you. Not to strangers, but to the people that matter most to them. How do they say and speak to that person? Because, right, they're going to love us no matter what, right? They're our husband, our wife, our kids, our parents, our best friends. And we tend to take those people for granted. Those, the closer they are, the more we tend to take them for granted. How, many, how often do they say thank you to that person? Genuine appreciation. Or do they just expect what they get? Well, I don't need to thank them. I'm, I expect that. And if they do that, they met expectations. Why should I thank them for something like meeting expectations? They did the laundry. That's what they do. Oh, really? Okay. See how long that does. That's really going to work good on a Hallmark card. 
you know, thank you to people and thank you to God are indications of how grateful you are for what you have and how well you recognize what you have and what you believe. And one other discernment, and I'll wrap it up. There's a difference, I think, between praising God and thanking God. And it's subtle, and you can mix these up, and it's not a big deal, okay? But I think we, there's something instructive here. I think we're to praise God for who he is and thank him for what he does, okay? That's kind of the hinge too, right? It's like Jesus has died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead so that I have that same hope that even though I die, yet I live, and for me to die in this life is simply to move home, okay? So I praise God for who he is, the eternal one that can defeat death and has defeated sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. But I thank him for what he's done. And, and you know, some of that overlaps because what he's done is a, it's an outcome of who he is. And that should be us too. As those who have received that gift of salvation freely, even though it cost him dearly, cross, I now go live a life of gratitude in word and deed as an overflow from recognition of who I, have, who I am and who, what I have in Jesus Christ. Look, this takes pity parties and it just kind of puts them out of business. Sorry, I know you had one planned for this afternoon. No more pity parties, okay? And yes, at weak moments, we're all still going to do that. Let's just give each other a hug and go, party's over. Jesus is still on the throne and he still loves you. And let's just help each other through that, okay? Now, there's a difference between a pity party and truly grieving and please don't minimize or, or any of that. Don't read into that anything that's not intended there. Okay. So, all this to say, how do I tell truth from lies? How do I tell good news from fake news? And Paul would say, be grounded in the truth. Okay? Be growing in the truth. Okay? You're grounded in your position in Christ. You're growing through the sanctifying process that the Holy Spirit is doing through his people of God, through the word of God, and with the power of the Spirit of God, making you like the Son of God. Okay? And then be grateful in that truth. Live grateful. Thankful people are good people to be around. They are refreshing and they are rare. If you don't know Christ, I think you've heard the gospel, but let me just make it really clear how you trust Christ, okay? It's real simple, and we're going to celebrate this as we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is taking a piece of bread that represents that Jesus was abused physically before he got on the cross. He was whipped, scourged to an inch of his life to prepare him to be nailed to a Roman cross where he hung for six hours until he died. The official cause of death was suffocation because he couldn't push up on the stake anymore to get another breath. He died, and the blood of Christ is represented in the cup, whether it's grape juice or wine or whatever. That is those, and those things show us, Jesus said, I want you to remember this because this is the price for your free salvation. This is what it costs somebody else for you to have the free salvation that you have. Salvation is recognizing that what Jesus did on the cross, you believe. That's why we do the Lord's Supper every week. It's to remind us how you know, if you don't believe that, then you're not ready. You're not trusting Christ yet. That's okay if you're not there yet, but just recognize that to not be saved is to be lost. It means that you're not reconciled to God yet. Okay, keep, keep pursuing him. Keep seeking him. Keep your, keep your uh, pursuit of the difference between truth and lies Keep pursuing that because the truth is the truth. It's there. 
And if you ask God to help you, he will help you find it. He is faithful. He's not trying to hide. When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide, and he went and looked for them. He loves you that much. And so I would beg you to consider praying to God and saying, God, I need you. I see that now. My sin separates me from you, and I need to be reconciled to you as my creator and, and, and one of your creation, and I, that's the way it should be, so I want that to happen. I don't really know what to do, so I'm asking you to do that work in me because I can't do it, and that would be right, and God will do it because he is faithful, okay? And we need to tell other people that. You do not have to drag them here for me to tell them that. You can do that, okay? Please don't drag anybody anyway. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come now um, with humble hearts, or at least maybe hearts that are a little more humbled as we've been convicted of sin in a lot of different ways, and we just recognize our need for you, God. We failed, we f- but Lord, I pray we fail forward. I pray we, we figure this out a little bit at a time and that we grow in our sanctification, that is, becoming like Jesus. I thank you that you're merciful and gracious, that it is your desire to make us peacemakers and to, as in our pursuit of the truth, that we would do so humbly and from a position that the world perceives as weak, but that we know is strong. It's just humble and meek, and there's a difference. And that you'll help us do that, Lord, in such a way that would honor you, please you, and be a blessing not only to ourselves, but to those around us, our family, our extended family, our church family, our neighbors, our world. And I pray this would happen today in Jesus' name. Amen.